0: We are in Acts 20 uh, this week, so if you want to turn with me there, it'll be up on the screens as well in a little bit, Um, just kind of to catch us up here to where we're at in Acts 20. Um, Acts 19, right before uh, Paul and his companions made their way to Ephesus and were uh, teaching in the synagogues, but then they... It kind of wasn't safe for them there, so they moved to just uh, a, a more public um, kind of, like, stadium that they were able to, to uh, talk and, and preach and debate with others there. Uh, but then just the, the people of Ephesus kind of started an uproar because uh, they were worried that uh, they were seeing that the gospel that Paul and his companions were preaching would disrupt their way of life uh, financially um, if it played out, because people would uh, stop buying their their idols. And so they, they created this this riot to not let them talk and to kind of drive them out. And the whole second half of Acts 19, no uh, followers of Jesus actually talk at all. They don't even get a chance to, to speak. Um, so this is kind of where we pick up here in Acts 20. Um, It's kind of, okay, what's the response of of, uh, the the believers after this? Uh, We're going to split into two sections. The first 12 verses we'll read and then kind of talk about some highlights from that. Um, And then then the next one is uh, the rest of Acts 20, so verses 13 through 38. So here are the first 12 verses, and here we go. When the uproar had ended... Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. Because some of the Jews had plotted against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sobiter, son of Pyrrhus, from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychicus, and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. Where he was sound asleep, when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. So Luke here, uh, in this story, this telling of what's going on with Paul and his companions, he's mirroring uh, Luke's gospel account of Jesus, the narrative of Jesus' public ministry um, here with Paul. As we, when we read um, in Luke 9, we see that Jesus, it says, set his face towards jerusalem and he wanted to get there by pentecost um and now the holy spirit is urging and guiding paul to do the same thing the difference between the two uh willie jennings reminds us is he says it's not one of appearance but of power paul can save no one not even himself but he's being used by the spirit to announce the salvation that has penetrated time and space existence and death breaching every wall of resistance there's not much more to say about those first uh, verses where luke is just recounting the travels except that it is it's interesting to note uh, the the details the amount of days that he's He's putting in the hours, even sometimes that they say there. Um, but the other thing that just for us to notice um, is that the group is growing, and it's. I love that he puts in where the different people are from to let us know that there are people from every region that they travel through that is joining the group. This is a diverse group that is that is coming, and as Willie Jennings calls it, he says a sign. It's a sign of the gospel in effect, a mixed group moving in the same direction. Now the story of Eutychus, the young man who fell asleep because Paul preached too long, is kind of a bit of humor thrown in here, dark humor, but humor nonetheless. Uh, And I guess thats it's a warning to all preachers everywhere not to (laughs) preach too long so you don't have to worry. Uh, I will heed that and I will not preach on and on. Uh but, but then thankfully, by the power of the spirit, the boy is brought back to life. Um, but what Luke here, what Luke is doing here again is he's mirroring Jesus with Paul, and as, as he had done earlier in Acts with Peter, having a miraculous, dying and coming back to life story. But again, as uh, as he said, as Willie Jennings said earlier, there is a difference, and the difference is. Uh, in power, that Paul and Peter have no ability to save. They're just there to proclaim the salvation found in Jesus. But it's more than just a healing story, even though that's a, a big deal and uh, good in and of itself. It's also a warning, um, not just to leaders, preachers, pastors, to You know, maybe make our talks shorter, talk less, listen more, that sort of thing. But it is a warning to keep watch on others. Uh, Maybe if Paul and others had noticed that Eutychus was by an open window in a precarious place, it's getting late, someone could have done something, should have done something. There shouldn't have been the need for the miraculous healing to happen Uh, It's a warning to keep watch on the young, both age-wise, but also maturity-wise, if you will, to pay attention to what we're saying and what we're doing. Uh, My my father to a 20-month-year-old, so almost two-year-old, and even though he's only got a few words he's saying, you can tell that Bear, that's our son's name, Bear is... Picking up on everything you're saying. You really got to start to be aware of what you say. Just as, as as leaders, as Christians, others are watching how we act, what we say, what we don't say, when we speak up, when we don't speak up. People are watching. And we need to be, be aware, better aware. Um, so our task here that we kind of see... Uh, Done wrong at first, thankfully recovered, and and done well then after is twofold. It's to raise up the young again, both young in life and in faith, to pick them up when they fall, to encourage them, but also to be mindful of of what we say and what we don't say. James, uh, the brother of Jesus, says this in James 3, verses 3 through 6. He says, when we put bits... the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire as itself is set on fire by hell. That's, the, that's a thing for us to just be wary of is where we speak up and where we don't speak up uh, and how we encourage others, especially when they fall, to encourage them and pick them back up. Okay, now we're going to read the next part. This one's a little bit longer. Um, I won't preach on and on though. As we just learned, that's dangerous. Um, But picking up in verse 13, it says this. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Asos, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day, we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos, and the following day arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words, the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. The only thing we're promised in this life as Christians, is actually that we will face hardships and suffering. We're promised eternal life and the Holy Spirit uh, to guide us through that, but in terms of uh, I don't know popular terms of blessings, if you will, hashtag blessed, not as much. I know that's not really the wisest thing for a preacher to say if you're trying to grow your brand. It's going to be hard for me to get those new, sweet sneakers to be on Preachers with Sneakers Instagram account if you've ever seen it. Uh, But that's kind of the point. Paul here, as he brings the elders, the overseers, he calls them, uh, he's telling them one last exhortation and he talks about sacrifice. The sacrifices he's done and he's going to have to do, and how they're tied up in Jesus's sacrifice and life. And there can be confusion here, uh, because again, like from earlier, Paul's sacrifice is not the same as Jesus's. And I think the church has been has has told us that we're supposed to have a sacrifice exactly like Jesus's too much when. It's more like we're to have a a posture of giving more than it is of receiving. Um, Especially because the church has used that idea of sacrifice. and It's always the the poor and women that bear the burden more than others uh, in that. Again, like what Willie Jennings said earlier, the difference is not of appearance but of power. Paul can save no one, not even himself is being used by the spirit to announce the salvation paul is talking about real dangers he has faced and will continue to face and this is actually the last speech in the book of acts before he's imprisoned and put in captivity Um, and the reality of so many in the world right now is similar that present dangers are near what Paul is showing and telling us here is that God in Jesus came into the world and faced these dangers too so as to raise up that risk of dangers that us in the world face and, and raises them into the divine life. As Willie Jennings says, he says, the risks and dangers that may confront us in life will not define our life. Paul's address to the elders here, he gives them a farewell address in the form of a common farewell address of his time. Um, There's a setting of impending separation, either a departure is here or death um, from a significant figure. And he reviews the past and present context. He instructs the successors and he offers exhortations on faithfulness, which is a common address by a teacher of that time. It's the longest speech of any who are already Christian in the book. And as I said, it's the last speech before Paul gets taken into prison. So it kind of holds a special place in the book of Acts. And Paul's warning here for the overseers, the elders, the leaders of the church, is for them to find a way forward so that they'd be able to clearly be able to see counterfeits or wolves in sheep clothing as used here. Uh, Two ways that the church can drift. Um, You can have this drift back to the old, which which can look like a lust for power, a desire to control others, fears of displacement or diaspora, which the Jews had already uh, experienced from the Roman Empire being forced to flee their homelands. Fear of religious institutions waning, cultural loss, theological uncertainty, those are all one way the church can drift. When you sense that, Paul's exhortation to them and to us is to press more deeply into the Spirit as our anchor so that we don't run the risk of just becoming a a shadow of the gospel. a ghost of the gospel, a perverted form of it. And the other direction is to move towards those who are found in Jesus. Following Jesus will always draw people who see its potential. Uh, As William Jennings says, so pointedly he puts it, he says, it will draw people that its potential as a source of unprecedented power And they bring enough personal charisma, theological knowledge, and social skill to exploit the gospel to its fullest possibilities. Talking about counterfeits, those wolves that he warns about showing up. We are called to be a people rooted in the gospel so that we can see the difference. And what he means by that is people rooted in grace. And Paul gives us more ways to identify the true versus counterfeit uh, overseers, um, true teachers of the gospel and not counterfeits, who are just using the gospel to exploit its potential for power. Verse 35, I think, is one of the the best ways he lets us know. He says, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said is more blessed to give than receive. Gospel leaders, the ones worth listening to and following, position themselves in a way that they can give. And counterfeit ones will position themselves to take. The economic desire to support one's self, having enough resources to survive, that's not the problem. Paul's words pressed against the economic system of his day One where Willie Jennings tells us slavery was a given and everything shaped by the master slave relationship. In that world, one either moved towards being a master with slaves or towards uh, being a slave yourself. Yet, Paul's words overturn, they press against the economic system of his time he placed himself in the position of the one who gives that is the slave yet he was free and that's the way that Christians are called to live especially especially leaders in the church is not to have it's not to have our own needs just disappear but to have our needs merge with the needs of the common the needs of the one who has less and together seek a flourishing life. Think back to near the beginning of Acts, where we see the church's response to the gospel. People were selling everything they had, giving to the elders to distribute to everyone as they had need. Their needs were still met, but out of their abundance, everyone was was helped. And we as the church need to see how and where our current economic systems are failing and how we are to live into this, live in a way that that presses against it. Where we live as people who are free in Christ, yet postured in a way to give. People who give more than we take, as Paul reminds us that Jesus said. This isn't easy. Uh, it's hard, and we're called to this. And it must start with leaders, as we see. This is a message specifically to leaders in the church. Jesus showed us the way. He made the way possible for us by dying on the cross, rising again, and he ascended, so he could send the Spirit to empower us, uh, so that we were had. God's presence with us wherever, pushing us uh, in ways that are gospel countercultural as we live a life of freedom in Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.